Empire podcast this week. We go off the road with On the Road's Michael Winterbottom, plus all the usual news and nonsense. On the movie podcast is feeling a bit sad right now because we have to say goodbye to one of our own. He's one of our own. Mm. He's one of our own. What's happening? Phil Dissemblian. He's one of our own. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. And yes, indeed, it is very, very sad times around here because I'm joined by Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Boy, hello. Let me finish that sentence. Okay, yeah. And James Dyer. Hello. And at times we get much sadder than that, quite frankly, do they? Yeah, oh, that, that wasn't an improvement no. at the end of the sentence. There's a, there, there's a reason why we're sad. Is, is there? Is there? Is there? Is there? I guess. There is. Because there is. this is it. This is the final podcast, as far as we know anyway, uh, of one Philip Aloysius Dissemblian, who is finally waving goodbye to this grey, depressing pod booth after five and a half years, but Phil, it must seem a lot longer. <laughs> Has it been five and a half years? Five and a half years wow. we've been doing this crazy thing called podding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is emotional. Yeah. yeah. No question. Here's a question. If we, if you will, fill a buster this podcast, does that mean Phil can't leave? Uh, no. Mm. But yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's how filibustering works. It's, you're right, you're right. But uh, they tend not to send security in to remove people when actual filibustering takes place. True. And I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, Bernard, oh. the nice security guard on the ground floor, is going to come in and, and bust <laughs> bust some shit up. I just think it's worth this. a try, that's all. <laughs> okay, he'll put the bust in Philly Buster while we're trying to put the fill in Philly Buster. That's, that's what's yes, going to happen. Yes, this sounds complicated. It does sound complicated. So, uh, But what we are going to do is we're going to let Phil Philly Buster to a little bit. Uh, our art house guru, for it is he, mm-hmm. who is leaving us to go to Pastors New. Um, he will, uh, the question and answer session will be dedicated entirely to you at the end of this podcast, yes. Phil. How do you feel about that? I feel it's, I feel it's a couple of hours too short. <laughs> Should go on. You should do some sort of speaking tour. Yes. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to start off with the news. We're going to start off with the news component of the show, and then we're going to go on to the reviews part of the show, and then we're going to, you know, just see you at the door. Okay. So that's we'll how we're going to Just make sure it. I've left. So, movie news, <laughs> Len. What's yeah. been happening? What oh, is happening? Loads, Tell me more. Loads that sounds great. It. I love it. Really exciting things. Um, Linda Hamilton might be coming back to the Terminator franchise. You just have to mention Hamilton in every podcast, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Her name is... Did you engineer this story? No. Okay. Yes. yes. Uh, I I mean, look, she has, unlike the Terminator franchise, a 100% success rate as Sarah Connor. True. So, you know, (laughs) that's got to be worth something. This is true. This is true. So she's been in two Terminator films. Yep. She wasn't in the... T322 back in she's time. Dead. Thing, she's she? dead in three. She's dead. Yeah. No, no, no. I know she's dead in three, but she wasn't in the, the theme park thing back in time or back uh, in no, time. I don't or... so. Oh, hang on. Which one are you talking about? The one, the, the T23D? Yeah, she is in that. And then it cuts from her to fake her. Okay. Have, you, have you ever seen it? Have you ever been yeah, to Yeah, I've the, seen it. Yeah, I just so can't remember anything you get, about you it. You get these sort of jobbing jobbing extras who do the live bit and then it flips to the footage of her but yeah she is okay. in T23D Battle right. Beyond Time where they fight the T1 million <gasps> the T1 million that's the ridiculous T1 million. nonsense uh, so she was, she's dead in T3 yeah. Yeah. as far as we know as far as we, we know never see the body but here's the thing time travel mm. oh, that's all I have to say about that timey wimey wibbly wobbly stuff wibbly wobbly stuff exactly um, so, yeah. to be clear this is Cameron said his statement on this was there are 50 year old 60 year old guys out there killing bad guys he said but there isn't an example of that for women, presumably except for Helen Mirren in Red and Red Two, but uh, makes a very valid point. Yeah, the, I'm, and she is the ultimate badass. In Although, two, I mean, so. I think that Connie Nielsen and um, Robin Wright, Wright in 
Wonder Woman might also disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and true, if true. N- it is a disgrace, by the way, Hollywood, that you have not tooled up a Taken style actioner with uh-huh. either or both of those women in the months since that came out. I assume they're still writing it and hammering out the deal. Almost certainly. Yeah. Anyway, so that is the Linda Hamilton potentially back in Terminator news. So how do we feel about that? I mean, well, it's how do we feel f- about Terminator 6 in general? It's going to follow on from Terminator 2, isn't it? So it's essentially pulling pulling a Highlander 3, but hopefully not an actual Highlander 3, uh, where they are essentially ejecting everything from Mostel's 1 onwards. So that's, yeah. that's, that's the thinking on this. And that in itself is a, is a shrewd move. And I'd be interested to see a film uh, that stars uh, Linda Hamilton that picks up after Terminator 2. I think my, my worries, I mean, it's not Cameron directing it, it's not Cameron writing it. It's Tim uh, it's Miller. It's Tim Miller directing it. And a writer's um, room. It's David Goyer, isn't it? Isn't yeah. he leading that? Which is one of my little bugbears of modern Hollywood. <laughs> these, these writer's rooms, which yeah. as far as I can tell so far just lead to muddled movies. Too many cooks syndrome. Yeah, too um, many cooks. Too many cooks. Stop that now. Um, <laughs> and Oh God, a terrifying bearded man just appeared behind you. <laughs> That's Phil. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hi. My concern with this is that when I spoke to Cameron earlier this year, he was saying, you know, oh, you've got to think of Wicked. Oh, you've got to- <laughs> sure I did that. Yeah. Oh, you name dropper. I totally did. Me and, me and Jim. Oh, by the way, it's um, Stephen King's birthday today as we're recording this. He's 70 today. He He's is. my good friend, obviously. I interviewed him earlier on this year. Good I just Lord. want to say, Steve, from one constant reader to a constant writer, happy birthday, son. Carry on, you were saying something. I'm sure he's listening. Of course he's listening. That was absolutely seamless. Well done. Um, (laughs) uh, No, no, he was saying that you 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 have to have Arnold in it. You don't want to have him as a central character. You need to have him as a kind of peripheral character. But you need to think of a way... Um, of ha- you know how would the T eight hundred have age? Would it? You know, basically, he's talking about the pops stuff that they do in Genesis. Yeah. You know, would you have an art? And it's, the answer to that is you just don't. It's just it's not a good idea. And I think that is probably my biggest cause of concern here. Lynn Hammond, of course, isn't going to be the lead. It wasn't, are they looking for? They're looking for an eighteen year old female lead for this, I believe. Yeah. Red. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah. Much like all films. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I, Look, Cameron's involved, that's a good thing. Could it be an absolute car crash? Of course it could be. Yeah. But we'll yeah. see. But, you know, Christmas Eve, everyone. Christmas yeah, Eve. Christmas Eve. We've Christmas got to be Christmas We've got to be hopeful the fact that Cameron's involved and potentially Linda Hamilton's back. Yeah. Those are potentially really good things. I'm shaking and this present. I think something's broken inside. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Arnold as well, who has never been involved with a bad Terminator film. And since Arnold is really? not on board with uh, Escape Plan 3, which Sly's doing on his own, that frees Arnold up to do this. Wow, you are the king of segues. Move over, Joe Bluth. That's amazing. Yes, so yes. they're making Escape Plan 3 right now. Yeah, um, Arnold has enacted his escape plan and he's not going to be in it. As is Sam Neill. Did Sam Neill no. die in the first one? Yeah. I can't remember. Let's I say don't. yes. Let's say yes. What happens sure. in Escape Plan? Um, so, uh, Slice Stallone <laughs> is the world's greatest security of, expert. Yeah. So he 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 gets put into prisons then to to so he can break out and tell people what the flaws are in their plans. Yeah. And then he gets kidnapped and placed aboard the world's most high tech prison. Super 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 smack security. Yeah, max. Super unescapable is what yeah. they call it. And uh, so he has to team up with Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, who's like the big sort of the Morgan Freeman, I guess, of the of the of the film. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, so he has to team up to try and break out of this. Plays Nelson prison. Mandela. No, the other Morgan Freeman, the Shawshank Redemption Morgan Freeman. Uh, yes, that one. I'm sorry. Uh, so it's yeah, it was fun as it went, I guess. <laughs> and they have a fight, which is which is cool. Um, and uh, Finney Jones is in it. 
Cool. Anyone know what anyway. happened in Escape Plan 2? It hasn't come out yet. So, so they're planning the Escape they're, Plan 3. They're shooting Escape Plan 3. Oh. So Escape huh. to Hubris Island, <laughs> you could say. Maybe the cast of... Maybe they're shooting Escape Plan 2, but they've got trapped inside a prison and they need Escape Plan 3 production crew to come To get them out. Yeah. Oh, that it's, makes it's a lot of sense. Hugely exciting news, um, <laughs> I, I guess. Hey, can we get back to actually exciting news? No. no. Oh, go on. No, this is good. Go Carry on. on. Uh, you've got James in your pot of... I've got Taika Waititi. Oh, that is oh no, yes, you do. Yeah. you do. Yeah. That's, that's an out-of-left-field one, isn't it? I'm so here for anything that man wants to make. Um, he is apparently circling a live-action remake of Akira. Um, now, the the hunt for, a, hunt for the wilder Akira has been going on now for at least a decade, I mean, what, a decade and a half a or more, to make a live-action version of the classic anime. If you haven't seen it, go see it. If you understand what's happening at the end, please let me know. <laughs> um, but it's astonishing. It's an amazing, amazing film, and Hollywood has kept on trying, and all of these directors have come and gone thinking that they have a take on Akira. Um uh, just in the past, uh, we, it's attracted Steve Clovis, Keanu Reeves, Albert Hughes, Homer Collett Sarah, Dane DeHaan, Michael Pitt, Rory Robinson, Leonardo DiCaprio's Apian Way company actually is still attached. Uh, so, you know, it's been through the ringer, is what I'm saying. And apparently, Taika is braving the same ringer. Um, I think this is potentially a very good thing because I think if you have someone like him in charge, uh, he's got the wit to avoid the kind of whitewashing nonsense that plagued uh, Ghost in the Shell. Mm. Um, he's got uh, enough inherent weirdness to get with Akira's weirdness, I think. And and he's bloody brilliant and I love him a lot. There is only one problem. Ah. Akira is babbling nonsense. I mean, Whoa. yeah, but also no, I don't agree, and I like the original. And I didn't understand um, a word of it. This I must point out the subtitles on. is the first. <laughs> oh, see, this is where I went wrong. This is the first, and I must confess, last anime I ever watched. Oh, James. and I sat down and watched it, and they had nice bikes, and there was there was Tetsuo who turns say, into a big blob monster, that's and there nice was Kaneda who had the nice bike, and beyond that, I don't know that I understood anything. Well, it's well, probably not made for you, is it, Jimbo? Let's, yeah, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, I, I'm not sure this will happen. I'll be honest. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying it's yeah. top of the most probable things no. in Hollywood pile, but I think if it were to happen, I would be there for it. As, uh, yeah, as, I, as the world knows, I'm the biggest Hunt for the Wilder People fan out there, and uh, and I am first in line for Thor Ragnarok. I will fight you, Chris. Um, I will fight you. Okay. All right. Well, okay. You win. <laughs> you have a wiry strength um, yeah we're excited about that and then just very very briefly there are a couple of other things so Damon Lindelof this week tweeted that uh, his Watchmen pilot team has been picked up by HBO a uh, little cryptic picture on Instagram um, uh, a statue of the original Night Owl Hollis Mason from the uh, from the mm-hmm. Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons graphic novel so very very excited about that I'm a big fan of Zack Snyder's movie I'll be honest with you super but, good um, movie I like uh, it but, I think yeah but maybe Letting Watchmen play out over ten hours rather than uh, trying to compress it all into three is maybe the way to go. Although I'd imagine with a lesser budget, so no, we shall see. No, it's not. It's a bigger budget. No, I think it's not the way to go. It's just, the movie was great. They should leave it at that. They should leave it at that. Yeah, that's a controversial. Wow. Is it though? The Art House feels just he's, he's just burning his reputation <laughs> as he goes. <laughs> that's not controversial. Which is it going up tonight? That's not controversial. What? It's a what, bit controversial. Um, 
give me some really effective superhero um, How long do you want to TV be? serials from recent oh, right. times. Daredevil, season one. Yeah, we like that. Jessica Jones. Yeah, but unfortunately, mm. there's been seven since then. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of. Uh, parts of Arrow have been okay. Oh, good grief. Don't give me parts of. I need the entirety. <laughs> Uh, I think the thing that was good about Zack Snyder's one it was cinematic it was and it was violent that's true and, and it was beautiful it didn't pull its punches mm. and it looked beautiful uh, I really like that film it, I, it's quite well a lot of people don't like it though a lot of people took real issue with it I'm not I'm baffled as to why I think but, it's uh, a Zack Snyder thing I, th- I think that guy could make the greatest film ever made and he'd still get pilloried yeah I think that's, that's just or pilloried <laughs> <or, laughs> yeah. it's good it's sorry um, um, also oh, there was well, a there was a little um Mm. A little, little award ceremony on the weekend. Was there? Emmys. Oh, yeah. Emmys happened. If anyone's interested so in the Emmys. Can, I, can the Emmys. I just say, I went on BBC News to talk about the Emmys before they happened, and I called it. Did you? I called what did it you all. call? I called um, Everything. Handmaid's Tale doing brilliantly. I called Big Little Lies doing brilliantly. I mean, both very predictable. I called Elizabeth Moss winning Best Actress. I called Riz Ahmed winning Best Actor in a, whatever it was, limited series. Well Basically, done. I had a good night, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I should have put money on. Donald Glover got two. Donald Glover, fantastic news. Sorry? Best picture at the Oscars? Uh, my tip for best picture at the Oscars? Death Wish. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Death Wish. There you go, Thor Death Ragnarok. Wish. Oh, Thor Ragnarok. Right. Yeah, put Thor all Ragnarok. your money on Death Wish with <laughs> Thor Ragnarok coming in second. Um, the Emmys are dead to me because he didn't nominate Michael McKean for Better Call Saul Season 3 and that uh, is an absolutely ludicrous development. And then they did that nonsense with Sean Spicer. And uh, also, oh, that was terrible. Also, the leftovers were left over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, which is criminal. Absolutely. Where criminal. was Master Chef the Professionals? I'll tell you, mm-hmm. nowhere. That's why. Yeah, um, well, anyway, it was a really good night for The Handmaid's Tale, deservedly, and Big Little mm-hmm. Lies, deservedly. So I'm happy. Yes. Well done. Well done, them, deservedly. Yes. They're dead to me. Fair enough. And it's, it's nonsense. So let's that's, 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 uh, that's move on to something else. Yes. Uh, that's that Damon is making a movie about the charlatans. Is he, though? I might have misread this story. <laughs> <laughs> He's making a movie called Charlatan. Right. Okay. He's playing Tim Burgess of the Charlatans. <laughs> who um, uh, unfollowed me on Twitter. No! Uh, He's yeah. such a nice guy. And I, don't, I, I unfollowed him on Twitter as well. And then we met. Oh. And there was a moment where we <gasps> went, oh, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. And it was a, that unspoken thing. Like you, yeah. we, we, I know you unfollowed me, there Burgess. There must be so much drama between you. It, so was, much. it was a crackling moment of yeah. electricity. You know, he's the only one I know from the charlatans. Wow. My You're friend loved that's, him that's so much. That's an amazing charlatans joke, by the way. My friend loved yeah, him so know. much um, as a teenager that she named her shell-toed Adidas after him. <laughs> they were Tim and Burgess. I'm not kidding. Really? Yeah. Hey, Helen, if you're listening, and that's um, not talking about myself in the third person. That's another person called Helen. We, we what? don't. I can't top that, and we should move on. <laughs> well, Phil, we so tell is, me about this Charlotte. Is a glib and flippant. Um, it's based on a uh, uh, a book called Charlatan um, with the <laughs> pithy, yeah, obviously pithy uh, sub subhead. America's most dangerous huckster, the man who pursued him, and the age of flimflam. Um, it comes in a poster-sized book. Obviously, so it's get about the title on there. what Donald Trump. Then? Um, it's about a man, a doctor called John R. Brinkley, who set up a clinic in Can- Kansas, ah, yes, in, uh, Missouri, in 1918. Testicles, wild testicles, testicles. That's where you're going, right? Um, I'm heading down that way. Yeah, yeah. I certainly am. Goat testicles, um, to to cure male uh, male impotence. So it's a. Uh, it's a sort of a shyster story. It seems like a good time for a shyster story, doesn't it? It does, American, weirdly. Yeah, it's funny that. American Isn't it just the informant? Or no, I, oh, I no this is else. a okay. doctor who literally tried to, you know, trans- transplant goat testicles onto people to cure impotence. Right, we've all been there. 
not with the impotence thing. I have to make that absolutely clear. <laughs> okay, we should move on to this week's guest because uh, we want to get through the reviews and then get this man grilled. Sure. Uh, so this week's guest is one of our most prolific and versatile directors. His love of music is uh, runs through his films like a like the, the, the name Blackpool through a stick of rock that you would buy in I don't know Brighton. Or Bournemouth, or somewhere like that. Um, he is, of course, Michael Winterbottom. When he's not gallivanting around Spain or Italy with uh, Rob Brighton and Steve Coogan on the Trip series, uh, he's making films like Nine Songs and Twenty Four Hour Party People, and In This World, and A Mighty Heart, and The Killer Inside Me, and all sorts of stuff. And his new film is called On the Road, and it follows the the band Wolf Alice on a recent tour. Uh, we sent along John Nugent to talk to Michael Winterbottom. It's happening after this is recorded, but I assume everything's gone well, so do please enjoy. Michael Winterbottom, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? Good, good. Thank you for being here. Um, You're the last person today, so I'm feeling very happy. <laughs> You're relieved it's to see me. A new energy. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. We'll keep it short. Um, we, are, we are here to talk about uh, your new film, On the Road. Uh, it weaves a sort of fictional love story into a rock documentary um, with the, with the band Wolf Alice. Can you can you talk a little bit about this, the genesis of this project? Would, did you, did Wolf Alice approach you, or did you approach them? How did it start? No, we were kind of this starting point was like let's let's do a film about a band on tour. Uh, I knew that we wanted to do it on like, on a tour bus, so a band that's kind of like doing kind of classic uh, old fashioned tour, really going around city to city. Wanted a young band, wanted a band that you know were a good live band, and uh, and Wolf Alice seemed like a good choice. We were started by asking you know people we know you know in the music business, and kind of realised quite quickly like quite a lot of bands as you get a certain level they start flying in because the venue is big enough they just fly in and fly out, and then other bands they're like too small, the venues are too small to support a bus, so they're like in a little van or a spur van. Mm-hmm. So actually, it's only kind of middle band that of people that that kind of hit that area, and uh, you know th- then. We, we, you know, I, I sort of knew Wolf Ice a little bit because I used to live next door to the bass guitarist Theo. Oh, right. and my daughter was in his class at school, so I'd heard a, bit, a little bit more about them. Yeah. And we met up with Tav, their manager, and uh, and he was up for it, and the band were up for it, so we thought it'd be a good choice. Interesting. And, and it's their, is it their first big tour? Like their no, I mean, so it's their, they'd only have one album. So, it's, yeah. so the good thing from our point of view is that they really, they are a really great live band. Yeah, they won mm. like some you know, sort of various awards for, for live. So, but they and they but they only had one album, but they'd been touring for a while, so they had a really kind of great sort of following. So all the venues were packed of people who not only were like fans of Vice, but they really knew all the songs because they they basically been touring the same songs for a while. So, mm. so I think they sort of you know they worked really hard to build up a kind of live following. So from the point of view from the gigs, it was great because you had a re- you know each each audience was really kind of uh, you know really kind of enjoyed it and gave us sort of energy. Mm. But as, as uh, Joel, the drummer, says at one point in the film, it's like, that's the hour. That, that It's all about that one hour. Then you have the other 23 hours, which is, yeah. is the tour. And, and in a way, the starting point for me was like, was the tour. It's like, well, it must be quite weird world living, you know, living on a bus, traveling every day, doing the same thing every day, but a different city. That was the starting point. So that was the real kind of starting point for what was what I was interested in. Yeah. So yeah, you you have Leah who plays Estelle, who works, who, who's the fictional character, one of the fictional characters who works for the band's management. And there there are scenes where it, it seems like she's literally working for the band. I mean, she brings them towels quite often. I mean, did it feel like 
the sort of lines between fiction and reality were blurring a lot. Well, that's what I, that's what, you know, that was the idea. So, mm. I mean, really with, with uh, Leah and James, who plays Joe, who's also part of the crew, you know, the idea was that they would, for, for the whole of the tour, which is like three and a half four weeks, that they would be Joe and Estelle, you know, they would always be in character and they would do their jobs. Now, in a way, Leah was quite lucky because Estelle's job was like, she works, the idea was she just started work for the management. So they'd like send her out on tour, really as a bit of work experience and to help out the band where she could. Mm. So a lot of her job was just hanging out with the band and taking them to radio interviews, whatever. Mm. Whereas James, his job was to like lug the gear out of the, of the truck <laughs> every morning, set it, you know, and help the crew set it up. So he had, a, he had to, you know, he was doing that like every day, like kind of get home to help them get the gear out yeah. and into the venue and then hanging around with the sound checking, then getting the gear out at the end of the gig and then taking it taking quite a lot of teasing from the crew as well for, for not knowing what he was up to so poor, poor James had a lot more slog than Leah had to do so were they, they were literally doing the work then they yeah I mean obviously like you know so James couldn't like so the idea is like Joe, Joe the character James plays is like a, the, the kind of the most junior member in the crew right. so helping out on the with the kit so so it was basically a lot of a lot of lifting and pushing and, and <laughs> logging really and then and then the kind of like and then the sort of t- typical teasing and abuse you might get from, yes. a, from a crew yeah, there's some good uh, sort of coach banter at the start of the film. Uh, which yeah, yeah, we, and all that. So, like, stuff that, so some of those things were things people said to us already, mm. it, like before we started filming, which we then wanted to get in. But then mostly, once, so what, you know, the one or two things that in that first kind of day or two where we just wanted to make sure we sort of set up the parameters that we'd been told about, you know, uh, and uh, but then really after that, we just, you know, thought the best thing is that we just, you know, let the, let the actors get on with it, playing their characters, doing their jobs, and the, and we would just try and then film everything in a kind of observational documentary way. Yeah. And the, the idea with having the two two actors wasn't so much to give us a story, their story, separate to the world of the boss and the world of the tour. It was more to give use them as a point of view in. So there's a personal side to it. So rather than being just a sort of a kind of objective thing where everyone's equal, it should be just following this tour from the outside it felt that we, we saw it from particularly from Estelle's point of view and that we you know so in our film we could have moments that I think are part of the experience of being on tour like moments when you're missing your family back at home or mm. moments when you're all alone and bit down moments when you're getting to become friends with people moments where you're, you're falling in love with someone or having sex with someone all those kind of intimate private things that are obviously massive part about living on mm. a bus and living on tour but which I didn't think we'd get from strictly the documentary bits. Yeah, it's really interesting and it really does capture the, the sort of life spent on the road. Uh, were you actually on the coach itself? I mean, yeah, we were living with, me and the crew were living on the bus as well. So the Wolf Eyes were like at that point where some bands have two buses and some right. bands have one bus and they were like, they weren't quite sure for this tour whether yeah. they would have a second bus. So we said, okay, well, we're going to come on with you so let's have a second bus. Yeah. So, you know, so, so yeah, so we were... We, we had like 12 bunks and I, I foolishly volunteered to have the bottom bunk which, which meant that you sort of like got on the floor and rolled into it and the, the roof of the bunk is like three inches above your nose so when you wake up in the morning it's like you're like in a little coffin and you've got to like climb out it's a, I personally found the experience of living on a bus pretty horrific <laughs> yeah I mean were there any snorers on the bus there were a lot of snorers and were there any people who weren't snoring on the bus that is more question and what, 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 what I found was like when the bus is moving I, they, I, you know, I could sleep pretty well you've got the movement of the bus and the yeah. noise of the bus but then, then whenever it parts up somehow it always managed to seem to be awake about 5.30 in the morning where, at which point there's lots of snoring but you want to be quiet because you don't want to wake someone up yeah. so you like crawl out creep out and then 
I've, you know, wander the streets of Manchester or Belfast or wherever looking for some coffee bar to sit in until <laughs> till the venue opens because the venue doesn't open until oh, 9 right, o'clock yeah. and then you go at 9 o'clock in some dusty old venue and try and have your shower. <laughs> so the the life of a touring musician is maybe not one for you. Well, the bands, so the bands, we you know because our characters are, are like in the crew. So our, the rhythm of of our characters and also of our crew was a little bit more connected to the crew than the band in a way because mm. the band obviously can get up like at midday or whatever ready for the sound check, whereas you know the crew have got to get the gear in. So they got to get yeah. you know they're getting the gear in from about nine o'clock onwards, right. and then they got to set up, and then they got the sound check, then they got you know they they got the gig, and then they get. The gear out at sort of you know ten eleven through to midnight, and then you're traveling. Mm. So we were we, the rhythm was a little bit more dictated by crew crew than the, than the band. Yeah. So I'm sure the band had. I mean, look, look, we we you know Estelle's character takes us in. And gradually, the idea is gradually in the film Estelle gets another band and we get another band with Estelle. Yeah. But um, I think even for the band, it's a pretty grinding yeah. uh, experience. Yeah, you definitely pick that up. Um, I, I, I notice. I mean, your actors oft, often improvised, um, but I'm guessing you and the crew had to be pretty sort of improvisational as well, and let, sort of filming on the fly. I mean, did it require you to be quite nimble? Yeah, you had to be very. Uh, I mean, we, uh, the, you know, there's this kind of complicated in the venue because the venues can be quite large. So it's quite if you're a small crew, we're a small crew, so it's quite complicated in the venue. And obviously, you got all the music, so you got the, the sound side is quite complicated for the sound guy. But then the process itself is quite complicated because it's so small. Yeah, so you, you had kind of both mm. problems in a way. Then James Clark, who's the main ca- camera guy, you know, I've worked with a lot before, and he's a great handheld operator, so he's brilliant. And, you know, and so you know, to some extent, you, you know, really the kind of thing is just to try. And like keep out of people's way to mm. be able to, sort of, you know, which is tricky on a bus. There's not a lot of places to go to on a bus the other way. So it's like trying to find a rhythm and a routine for that. And you know, I've worked with James on you know projects not that dissimilar to that before. So we all and Anthony Wilcox was producing it was on the bus. You know, we worked together a lot on similar things. So like we knew, you know, most of us in the crew knew each other and we had a kind of you know we got, had a rough idea of how to work. Mm. But you know, having done a lot of road movies and done a lot of you know films, which we sort of similar the actual experience of being on tour on the bus was way way more extreme the the, the, the nature of of the kind of the, the rhythm of it for the crew of, a, of this of the of the band who we were having to echo was kind of much more hard work than normal mm. the normal ship interesting um i mean as you say you've you've had a bit of experience in this sort of thing you you, you did a, a sort of gig movie of a sort with nine songs I mean it had gig footage and fictional narrative um, did that did that experience inform this experience at all? A little bit yeah I mean the starting point with nine songs was more kind of you know was more the relationship. You know, it's, mm. like, it's about a guy looking back on a relationship that's over and he was in love with a girl, but maybe the girl wasn't in love with him and it's finished and she's left him. Um, and it was really like, you know, why can't you show sex in a film was part of the starting point. Right. You know, what, what, yeah, if you're doing a love story, being in bed with someone is a really important part of falling in love with someone. And if you can't show it properly, you can't really ever capture that. But it was also a feeling like that films also stick a load of narrative into love stories and have a happy ending which is not it seems to me not particularly mm. relevant to a lot of you know, how what it feels like to be in love whereas music I think is brilliant at capturing the emotion of being in love so we use the music both to like give us that kind of the mood of being in love and the, uh, but also just as a sort of like a kind of counterpoint to it because I think, I think music is brilliant at capturing uh, you, know, you, you know capturing how you feel when mm. you're either in love or you've been in love with someone you remember someone Whereas in On the Road, it was the opposite. In a way, the relationship, I wasn't really interested in, in the relationship uh, for, like, for itself as a sort of that, you know, it sounds 
odd to say that, but it felt to me it's more. I wanted it to be part of the world of the, of the tour, really. Mm. Anyway, the reason I wanted to have them home in it because I felt like that is, you know, that is an element of being away from home, an element of being, you know, sort of in working, such, living in such close quarters and working with people and, and, and endlessly touring with them. That the, mm. the, your personal relationships, friendships, and love and sex, all that has to somehow exist in this world. And so I, I didn't want it to not have that in the film. Like mm. I felt to ca- you wanted to really capture be on tour you had to have some strand that connected with that and I didn't think we were going to suddenly get access to Wolf House's private <laughs> moments <laughs> yeah I guess that's a bit of a trickier thing to film um, I imagine with a project like this you, you must have hundreds of hours of footage uh, what on earth was the editing process like? Uh, complicated I mean we had so you, we, we had so we shot about 16 gigs yeah so we had all we had and we basically I mean not we didn't shoot every song every time but yeah. we shot most of them so you have all that that footage we were sometimes we our basic you know crew had we were two cameras but like in the gigs we often had three cameras and occasionally four or five so there's that material and then obviously on the sound side in the gigs there's you know we we started off like with a few technical glitches and we were just getting stereo feeds but then sort of quite soon in we were getting the multi-track feed from the mixing desk as well so uh, in post you had all the sound a lot of sound material as well um, but uh, in terms of the you know the filming of the 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 the, the tour the kind of non-music non-performance bits you know we were shooting, we would shoot sort of eight and nine hours a day, perhaps. So it's not, you know, it wasn't a huge amount. And, and the, the complication, in a way, with on the road compared to some of the other films done in similar styles, is that because you're moving every day, so it was like, you know, you, you, you know, every day was Belfast or it was Dublin or it was uh, Liverpool or Manchester. It meant the material you're shooting was only relevant to that day. So mm-hmm. yeah, and it was a sort of story which would the idea was inf- unfolded. So you know, Estelle's new when she arrives and she gradually gets to know people, she gradually gets another band, and by then you get to the by the time you get to the end of the tour she knows everyone and then it's over with mm. so it meant that each day you only had the choice of that day's material which actually kind of you know weirdly is quite complicated then for the film because you know you, you might have little moments you like here but you couldn't transpose them somewhere else you know it was about you know it's a kind of like observational documentary in that sense so you only had a certain amount of material for you know you know, a few hours of material for each kind of section of the film, and, mm. and, and you had to stick to that story order. So it was more like about rhythm and like how to kind of like play around with like you know, sort of how you know how much you how much you repeat the rhythm each day. And for me, that was a really important part of it because it felt to me like you know, having been on the tour, that one of the elements is that you know is that you know it's like a kind of vague extreme form of everyone's life everyone is, mm. has quite a repetitive life you know you get up you have breakfast you go to work get back you have your tea go out for a drink whatever you go back to sleep but when you're on tour it really emphasises how repetitive life is that, mm. you know, that cycle is, is exactly the same thing each day it's just a different place and I, I like that and so I wanted that to be a lot of the film but it's just a question of how much you can get away with it before people are like okay stop that's enough yeah yeah <laughs> I did read somewhere that the On the Road wasn't the original title. Um, are you able to talk about the title at all? Well, the title was tricky. I'm not a massive fan of it. I was mm. like, I mean, it just felt to me, you know, the starting point was like that being on tour. In the end, that, that felt to me, that, you know, that, so On the Road at one level is very prosaic, obviously, but, but it is what it does. It is what it's, what it's about. It's about the tour. And it is, you know, it is a road movie. It's very much about that. But also, you know, obviously On the Road is also the title of a Jack, Jack Kerouac book. And mm. in the end, you know, Wolf Alice, is, they borrowed their type, their name from uh, Angela Carter, right. short story. Right. So I thought, okay, that, that's, that's justification enough. We'll have a literary <laughs> reference in our title. Yeah, fair enough. I, I did read, uh, I think I heard some, uh, I can't remember where I saw it, but I th- saw Theo from Wolf Alice describe, um, quite self-deprecatingly 
how the band sort of slowly emerged as the dickheads that we are. Um, how, how did the band sort of handle having a, a camera crew in their face? Well, I, I'm sure it's like strange for them and for the crew. I think probably the crew were a little bit resistant when they heard that that was the idea. Yeah. Uh, and we were probably slightly more with the crew, especially early on. Then, you know, then as, as I say, as, as, as the character of Estelle gets to know the band more, we kind of gradually drift more into the band's world. I mean, look, I think Wolfire is a great live band. And I also think they're a nice bunch of people and the mm-hmm. kind of dynamic between them, you know, is enjoyable. And so I, I think, you know, I hope, you know, that, that, that they recognize that. I hope the film kind of shows that, you know, and I think we, we showed it at the film, film festival last year, to be honest, and the, they were there with a lot of their kind of mates and I think they all enjoyed it. You know, I think, yeah. I think you know, it, it, they, uh, they seem, you know, they, they seem like, well, they, are, like, they take the music really seriously, they work really hard, but also they have fun and they're, you know, they're, they're you know, a bunch of people who, I guess, four years ago, whatever, were like playing by themselves in their mm-hmm. you know, bedroom or garage or whatever, hoping to, to be able to kind of find an audience. And then, then when we were filming them, I think it was a great moment where they, they got this kind of fan base, they got this following, they had these you know, really enthusiastic crowds who, who knew their music and really loved their music. But at the same time, they could go out and have a drink in the bar next door and not worry about it and mess mm. around and still be, you know, still be kind of like the fans themselves, you know, still be part of that world. You know? And mm. I think, you know, if you caught a band's, I'm sure they they won't get like this, but I think you get a band that's been doing it for two or three years more, or whatever, a bit bigger, a bit more money. Then suddenly you get this big kind of gap between the band and, and the fans, and they're insulated and isolated. And I think, I think the, the kind of world that they were living in on this tour was a you know really fun world for yeah. them and a, and a good world for us to film. Yeah, uh, music has always played a, a massive part in your your career. Um, have you ever considered doing a, a full-on musical? <laughs> No, I'd like to actually, but yeah. no, we never, we never like try to do one. But I yeah. think, yeah, I think musicals. I mean, the musicals uh, can be fun. I mean, it depends what sort of musical you mean. Really. I guess but, you have quite a naturalistic style, so yeah. maybe that doesn't fit in with uh, with people bursting into song. And no, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, towards my because when I saw La La Land, I, th- I thought before I saw La La Land, I thought it was going to be very kind of naturalistic, and yeah. then the music somehow would be like you know integrated with that. Whereas then, in fact, it was kind of quite an old fashioned musical. I thought, but yeah. uh, I think you know, it's like look, mu- music in any film, like whether it's about bands or it's about music or not. The music in the film is always hugely important, and almost you know, all films kind of depend a lot on the score and that. So it's always fun to play around with it. But we haven't got any particular project. In that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Shirley Henderson makes a cameo in this film. Brilliant. It's only five minutes and does amazing work with those five minutes. Um, and she's obviously a regular collaborator with you. Um, would you say you've established a sort of rep theatre company? With no, I wish I had. I don't, I don't think I have. I mean, we had. A, I think we, to, to a large extent, we've done that with crew over the years. Like mm. When we started off, it was like. You know, there was like you know me and Andrew had a company but the films would be like pretty traditional films where you'd suddenly have a hundred people on set and you wouldn't really know anyone and mm. do it for seven or eight weeks and be very unhappy and stressed and then you stop and and, and then you know from now for a long time you know kind of tried to like make the film filming as simple as possible keep the crew small but also keep a continuity so it's not like it's the same crew each time but there's a lot of overlap between you know people from one shoot to the next so that that side of it you know, like both the kind of like you know the development side and the post side but also on the crew side there feels there's a kind of rep company in that mm. area it's harder with actors I mean probably because you know we do quite a wide variety of films so often they're like mixture of actors and non-actors and so you know it's not like we're doing you know it's not like we've got a massive number of roles each time 
But also because with actors, no matter how much you love someone, they have to be right for the part. You know. Yeah. Uh, so Shirley is great. I love Shirley, and Shirley has been in a lot of things we've done. And um, you know, like someone like say Steve and Rob work quite a lot mm. in different ways because they're playing versions of themselves. But but the, the, all the things really with Steve have been built around around him. You know, it's not been kind of fortuitous. It's more like okay, we want to do something with Steve. What should we do? Mm. But in general, if you're doing you've got an idea for a film, you know, you you, you even though you might love actors, they've got to they they've got to fit those roles. You know, and, and it's like one of, you know, just one of those things. If you're 20, you can't play someone who's 40 and so on. And so mm. it's, like, it's harder to build up that kind of rep theater without really writing, you know, writing stuff specifically for kind of group of writers. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, obviously. Uh, are we going to see uh, another trip? It, it, I heard Trips to Ireland was being no, rumored. Trips to Ireland, definitely not. No. I, 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 the thing is, um, but I, I think, uh, look, each time we've done one, the idea has been one, you know, and that's yeah. it. And so we only, we only kind of fairly recently done the last one. So at the moment, it's like, uh, there's no plan for it. But I think, I think uh, if we were to do one, I think it'd be like Scandinavia maybe or okay. Greece or something like that. But, but it's like, if, if we do one, all, I think it'd be quite a long time off. It's, so it's not a temptation to just go to a glamorous location and eat lots of amazing <laughs> no, food. It, it is. It is. That's, the, that's the main reason why we've done three of them. There's <laughs> <laughs> only right. intended to be one, but it's too, it's too tempting when someone says, do you want to go and spend a few months in Italy eating? Yeah. You can't say no. That's not something I would turn down at all. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you go because sure. I realise I'm your last interview and you're desperate to leave, but um, I just did want to ask, there were reports you were working on a comedy with um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, so we still, so it, it was due to happen now and then it got mm. put back to May and now it's not, I think it's not going to happen with the timing so okay. we still, still hope to make the film but I don't think it would be happening with Sasha unfortunately okay that's a shame yeah it would have been fun it would yeah. be fun it was like a it was like love. It was like it's like the idea was like a sort of retail fashion billionaire had a bit of a crisis in one of his companies, and so he wants to throw a big party to show he's still the kind of king of the yeah. high street. And the, and so it's like on a, it's going to be on a Greek island and Roman amphitheatre, and then everything goes horribly wrong. So it would have been a fun film to do. Right. So I'm hoping it might still happen at some point. Okay, well, fingers crossed, and best of luck with it on the roads, um, Michael Bentbold. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So that was John Nugent being violently killed there by Michael Winterbottom. <laughs> <laughs> just, just hedging our bets. We've recorded like a dozen of these, just in case. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Um, uh, should we talk about the reviews then? Sure. Let's talk about the reviews. Packed Andy. slate this week. Pants slate? Packed, packed slate. Oh, packed, packed slate, slate this week. Well, Swimming in new films we are. Well, yeah. I mean, you know. There's a, there's there's a, few, there's a few, but the ones we're going to focus on. Uh, are Kingsman, The Golden Circle, and Borg versus McEnroe. Let's start with Kingsman, The Golden Circle, which is, of course, the sequel to Kingsman, The Secret Service. We should start with Borg McEnroe. Do you know why? Why? Resistance is futile. Well, that's... (laughs) That's an ace. (laughs) Stop this guy making a racket. Please. I love it. Thanks, man. That's the thing about James. You have to give him the service, and then he'll (laughs) smash it. Over the Any net. Any more? Anything else? Uh, no, I would, I'd love to give you a backhanded compliment, but unfortunately, I can't. Something right, so let's, should we start with Borg versus McEnroe, which of course is the tale of the titanic struggle between Bjorn Borg, not Star Trek Borg, but Bjorn Borg, uh, and John McEnroe in the 1980 Wimbledon men's final, um, which I don't remember watching, a little bit young for that, but you know, I'm pretty sure it was a good game. Uh, and the film stars Shia LaBeouf as John McEnroe. I mean, Intrigued by that, Helen. How, how did it turn out? Um, uh, what the? I can't give away the end of the match. Come on. 
No, of course not. We wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. all right. Um, so, yeah, this is the story of the great second greatest rivalry in men's tennis, obviously behind Federer and Nadal. Uh, yes. such, such a Federer fan, girl. I am. We had established this last week. So uh, it's, it's in the build-up to and the uh, surroundings of the 1980 Wimbledon final. Millions of people obviously watching worldwide. One of the most famous tennis matches of all time. Obviously surpassed by Federer versus Nadal. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but they were they were sworn rivals. So you had Bjorn Borg, the sort of Swedish kind of clockwork, um, you know, beautifully technical tennis player, and then you had the sort of the fiery uh, mm. super brat he was called at the time, John yeah. McEnroe, who was obviously famous for his bad behaviour on court, his inability to control himself. Can and be serious? So, I am serious, Chris. Okay. There we Just go. Checking. Thank you. Uh, so Borg was headed for a fifth straight Wimbledon title. Uh, McEnroe was still after number one, mm-hmm. um, and and it's all the sort of the build up to that and the pressures of fame on Bjorn Borg in particular. McEnroe being irritated by by everyone's perception of him and um, and the fact that everybody keeps asking him what he thinks of Bjorn Borg every time he's interviewed, which is you know understandably a little bit irritating um, so it sort of yeah sets up the um, it sets up the clash between them um, so the film focuses and this might surprise you given the relative levels of fame of the two leads the film focuses more on Borg than mm. McEnroe Borg is played by now why would you make me you know pronounce these names that you don't you know I can't pronounce uh, Sverrir Goodnesson I'll take it Thank you. Um, but he's, he's very, very good. But it's definitely um, much more about him. I mean, McEnroe's backstory, which is, you know, sort of like his parents, you know, putting all this pressure on him, being very overbearing, is like sort of gotten out of the way super fast. And then Borg, we get a lot more from. So we see him as a young boy having the same kind of rants that we see from McEnroe, but basically getting put out of or getting to learn better than to do that um, which you know McEnroe maybe hasn't learned to channel his rage the same way um, and it kind of leads up to to all that final and the problem here is and I think this is peculiar to tennis movies in particular maybe football as well it's really hard to do mm-hmm. the matches brilliantly yeah it is um and so, I've ever tried. <laughs> I just said they're really definitive. Yes, it is. Yes, it definitely is. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, like, um, not to give anything away, but Battle of the Sex is another period tennis movie coming up. Yeah. There's very little tennis playing in it, I think, for that reason. And I think here as well, there's, a, there's the focus is on everything around the tennis, which is probably a wise decision. Um, it's quite, uh, it's quite, um, art house and some of its sensibility it doesn't feel like a big sports movie with all the usual kind of cliches and metaphors Um, but it really suffers I think from the fact that it doesn't feel like an even handed affair between the two players you want this to really be sort of 50-50 and it isn't I think so we give it we give it uh, three stars 50% (laughs) we give it 50% three stars for uh, Borg versus McEnroe which is of course as we say on the Emperor podcast, a racket mendation. Oh, God. Um, so there we go. And then we'll segue smoothly onto Kingsman, the Golden Circle, which, as I said, is the sequel to Kingsman, the Secret Service, uh, and stars Taron Egerton once again as Kingsman's secret agent, uh, boy from the streets, Eggsy, and he's battling evil, isn't he, Jimbo? What's happening in this? He is. In this, he is battling Julianne Moore's drug kingpin, Poppy. Um, and that's basically the setup, isn't it? It's more chaos. In it. I don't want to give too much away because it's quite easy. Yeah. I think when you, if you get into the plot, it, 
I don't yeah. even want to get into it at all. I think you just want to leave it there, don't you? Because if you start bringing in everything after the whiskey bottle, it's all a bit of a spoiler. Well, no, I mean, so, I think everybody knows the... We, in this one, we meet the American statesman, who are the American equivalent of the Kingsman. Which is what I was not going to say, but sure, no, but let's I do think that. I th- that's on the posters. Like, yeah, guess, we can, we yeah. can admit okay, that much. Fine, yes. I'm not going to say the how American they come into parts. it, but yes. they are there. Including Channing in- Tatum, Halle yes. Berry, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Yes. And Pedro Pascal. And Pedro Pascal. Pascal. Mm-hmm. Uh, all named after spirits. Well, not just spirits, because it, was it champagne, tequila, whiskey, and... Oh, yeah, ginger ale. Ginger ale. doesn't really count, does it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is more... This is one of those films where, isn't it? Uh, I found the response to this film absolutely fascinating on Twitter. It has elicited incredible <laughs> hatred from some people uh, who have decried it as objectively inept and many other things which I would argue are objectively untrue. Um, <laughs> it's like it, this is it is a Marmite movie to yeah. end all Marmite movies it will it will absolutely prompt hatred from many and others will think it's absolutely hilarious Matthew Vaughan um, told me because uh, well, I, I I worked on the feature for the, for the magazine and in, in doing that uh, I spoke to Matthew Vaughan and he gave me a quote that he actually wanted to use as a tagline <laughs> and I kind of wish they had he said if you didn't like the first film you'll hate this one <laughs> and so far from what I can see that has that has been Worn out, um, but except I like this one better than the first one. That's interesting to me. Yeah, I that still have issues with a it's, certain thing that happens it, early on. It's it could be called problematic in certain areas. Y- there are definitely problematic <laughs> areas. Definitely, um, some of the problematic areas I find less problematic than last time, which will surprise some people. I'm really looking forward to a spoiler special. By the way, I, no, genuinely, we've set aside 90 minutes for it. We should tell you how much I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be intriguing. Um, But I quite enjoyed some of what happened. I I think we can also probably say, and I don't think this is a spoiler, that Eggsy is still in a relationship with Princess Tilde. Yes, indeed. Who he obviously, um, how can I put this, wooed (laughs) at the end of the last film. They had a real meet cute, didn't they? Yes. They really did. Is that meet with an A? Never mind. Don't don't, don't ask me how I'm spelling meet there, but uh, it's, uh, yeah. They're, they're um, together. But they're together. And that actually does give it a different flavour. And it, it did give it one of the funniest scenes, I thought, which is seeing a super spy yeah. on the phone to his girlfriend saying, look, I have to seduce this woman to save the world. So, like, is that OK? Like, are we OK if I do that? That, I thought, was genuinely funny. Um, <laughs> it also yeah. had some very, very good... Action. I don't want to get too much into this because we're doing a spoiler special in a couple we of days. Special, uh, yes. But uh, it has some extraordinary action uh, set pieces in it, not least of all the one at the very beginning involving yeah. a black cab, which I thought yeah. was particularly well shot. Very cool. Yeah, I think there's, there are some there, there are some flaws here. It's a little bit overstuffed. It has some of that, that sequel itis thing where you just cram so many characters into yeah. The, yeah. into the movie. It's probably 10, 15 minutes too long. But I really, really liked the first movie. I thought the first movie was audacious. It gave me things on the cinema screen I hadn't seen before. I'm not entirely sure... The second one goes for that, and I think it's a deliberate thing, but what it does do is it gives you a hell of a lot of fun. There are things that happen in this movie that uh, will shock people, appall <laughs> others, offend others, and leave some people laughing in disbelief. Um, I had an absolute blast with it, but uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into our differing viewpoints, shall we say, on, the, on the spoiler special. But uh, I think Taron Egerton's fantastic. Uh, I think the the American guest stars perhaps don't get enough time to make a, a huge impact. I agree. Julianne Moore is very, very funny uh, as the as the bad guy and there's reliable support from the likes of, of Mark Strong uh, in there as well as Merlin. And um, uh, and we're, we're tiptoeing around a certain someone, but um, yeah. Yeah. Just watch the film and see. And, the other uh, person's great. Yeah. yeah, the other person is very, very good, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that more. Uh, we gave it four stars. It is 
uh, in my opinion, certainly an absolute blast from beginning to end. Uh, and it will divide people that's for sure uh, so four stars then for Kingsman the Golden Circle uh, sorry we couldn't get into it more but uh, we we don't have a lot of time I want to I want to give Phil the send off no this man deserves quite frankly Phil um, the second best that. Phil after Punxsutawney Phil uh, our favourite <laughs> that puts you ahead of Phil Connors though it does okay. <laughs> great <laughs> this is true this is true uh, Phil you are leaving us you're leaving yeah. not just the podcast after five and a half years, but you're leaving Empire. Oh, after, after how many years? Um, I think it's nearly ten years. Ten, ten long ten years. You can you can do less than that for manslaughter. Yes. <laughs> so it is easy. And, and in yeah, in retrospect, <laughs> just taking the sentence would have been so much easier. When we had so the podcast on Saturday, yeah. For some reason, by the end of it. I'd come out as someone that had killed four people and was that had hidden their bodies. You had, and yeah. Is yet to be. I mean. Well, I don't know how the that The truth happened, will out, I've Phil. I've never killed anyone. I wouldn't dream of it. Sure. All right. Okay. So we have a number of questions, and I mean a lot of questions. Have we? Uh, from from mm. listeners, uh, a lot of whom are very, very sad to see you go. Believe me, oh. none, none as sad as us. Um, uh, here's one from John Nugent. John Nugent. <laughs> it's the first Just one an I've, innocent listener. It's genuinely the first one I've seen. Who will you miss the most from the Empire team, and why is the answer me? <laughs> Who will I miss most from the Empire team, yeah. and why is the answer John Nugent? Yeah. <laughs> that is a metaphysical question. Um, why would I miss... I mean, I miss everyone from the Empire team. Obviously. What a great bunch of people. I've loved working. There's been a few down the years who have have gone through this portal to the afterworld. Yes. Like yes. I'm about to go through. Yes. And I miss them too, to this I, day. I always feel sad uh, when I Alexander see... Alexander yeah. Plum, that guy. Alexander Plum. <laughs> oh, I miss Alex. him. I remember wasn't, he, Alex. wasn't he Andrew? Do you remember him? I thought he was Andrew. Uh, no, oh, Andrew! It was Plume, wasn't it? Plume. Oh, Plume! Yeah. Mm. Alexander Plume. Yes. Yeah. So I've been very lucky with the people that I've worked with. They've been amazing. Um, and yeah, love love everyone in the office. John is a top man, no question. Why did you go northern there? You did went, I go northern? You went northern. Didn't mean to. Okay. I didn't mean to. Do you mean uh, top man in like a Marcus Brody kind of way? Yeah, top top men. Oh, top men. One of our top men. Yeah. What you mean? You'll never see him. He'll disappear. <laughs> it does, doesn't he? I just sent him. I just sent him to Spain. That's it. You were like, Where where's, he John? where's John? Gone? He knew all the local customs. And he did. <laughs> With any luck, he's got the grill already. Exactly. So uh, um, I do yeah. love these moments when I wave people off from the podcast and from Empire, and it's like, go, go on, run along, run along, earn more money, <laughs> you know, be happier, and then I, you know, we just stay here, don't we? Just forever. Just you know. Well, Chris, you know. Wait a mm. second. Anyway, off you go. Well, you left. Yeah, you're I know. Back. I'm yeah. Ju- I, I left, but I didn't really. You know. You just went round the building and reported back. <laughs> I'm just. Then. I'm just. I'm just wearing. I, I'm just wearing tash. glasses <laughs> now and a fake tash. <laughs> uh, I don't know Helen O'Hara. I'm. I'm Hara O'Helen. <laughs> All right. So here's another question for Phil. This is from Bill McConkey. Uh, who's Bill, done, who's done the best drawing of you holding a phone? Oh my lord, Bill McConkey. Hey. But a different Bill McConkey. Oh. No, no, Bill McConkie. Bill McConkie, for those who aren't aware, um, is uh, an empire, an esteemed empire illustrator, and um, this was a um, <clears throat> illustration he did of me for an advertorial that we did with um, a, a telecom provider. And uh, I, yeah, I had to do a pose where I was in the office, where I was holding my phone like I was interviewing or, or taking a picture of a major le- Hollywood celebrity on a red carpet, and it would be illustrated for the page in the magazine. Um, what I hadn't realised was it was going to be illustrated with me pointing my phone at the bum of a major Hollywood starlet. <laughs> so the page came back and I was just like, 
Yeah. This makes me look like a massive sex pervert weirdo. Is there any way we could temper that slightly? Yeah, because or, or you're probably like a moderate size sex just pervert moderate, weirdo. Moderate the, 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 yeah. Keep the sex pervert part, just the weirdo can be shelved. <laughs> And um, I think Bill, it wasn't Bill's idea, I'm sure, but they just added a bloke to that. So, <laughs> so I was just an in, indiscriminate sex weirdo pervert. Um, but anyway, that was that was fun. And uh, so the answer to that question is Bill, because he's probably the only one, but he also is a very fine illustrator. John Larson at JR Larson asks, is there any filmmaker you'd like to play a chess on a beach? <laughs> um, is this asking boy. which filmmaker most resembles death? Yeah, there's a number of ways of interpreting them. Yeah, it's weird. Um, who do you think would be good at chess? I'm not very good at chess. William Sadler. <laughs> William Sadler is not a filmmaker, though, is he? Yeah. No, I know, but no. yeah. Okay. It's a, but he is death. But he is death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah. yeah. You, sh- yeah, you should sure. play him at Battleship. You're in Battleship in. Yeah. There's two out of three. <laughs> There's three out of five. You sunk my battleship. <laughs> you can see yeah. what we're going to lose when Iron House Phil goes <laughs> from this podcast that the yeah, death, wait a second. death James went Guys. to was William Sadler <laughs> and not Max von Do you know what? Do you know what? You should play someone like. David Lynch or mm. Werner Herzog because I feel like <laughs> be amazing. because I feel like they'd get distracted from the game by like a passing bird or just the nature Terrence of Malick, existence yeah. Terence Malick he'd Terence Malick porpoise. exactly and I could like take his queen exactly it'd be fine put it in my pocket when he's not so you want one yeah. of those guys you want yeah, somebody a little a bit answer. out there David Lynch would be moving knights not knights he'd be moving bishops sideways wouldn't he be going, I don't believe in rules exactly. and all that sort of stuff yeah. Yeah. and he'd insist on drawing the board on the back of a cow I mean it'd be amazing why not why not? Why the hell not um, Sergeant Peach Fuzz not his real name says asks favourite and most hated Chris Hewitt impressions oh. <laughs> <laughs> this that is, is such a good question um, well, we know the most hated I was thinking about this the other day like there's been an evolution of terrible office banter and impressions down the years um, there was a period I enjoyed, and I don't think this was more my brother that drove it than Chris. But there was the when when Mark Cousins did his epochal, I think you could fair to say, story of film documentary. There was a long period where we didn't go five minutes without someone breaking into this man, and this <laughs> probably the most famous filmmaker in the world, and then just mention some like there really is a wonderful Mark Cousins impression. <laughs> it's very dark, and everybody. Nick's is better. No, mine's much better. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember further back than that the the uh, uh, Christopher Walken period, the two mice, oh. two mice, yeah, two yeah, mice. yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was that was that fun. Lasted and then a long time. And you, mice. And you doing wow. Whoa, like, And Chris's Ian McKellen from the Golden Compass as well was was one. Yeah, that was yeah I from. like Ian McKellen. Right. Um, I like David Thewlis. Yep. Um, terrible experiments. Experiments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, what else? Um, I know that the people want me to say the word that rhymes with Ranny, Ranny Doyle, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Um, Al Pacino's fun. Uh-huh. Um, not All bad. Right, okay. Some of them are just shambolic. Well, the, the... I'll enjoy, I've enjoyed most of them, though, quite a lot. Uh, Danny Ball's the most physical. <laughs> Probably, yeah. You could argue too physical. <laughs> yeah. You could. It's a little in your space. Yeah. I can't help it. When Danny Boyle enters me, I have to... Oh, uh, no. What? As your lawyer, no. Chris. As your lawyer. You still his lawyer? <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Helen's on retainer. Jacketing. Yeah. Constantly. <laughs> How do you think I pay Four the in the morning. What Helen, else? if I say Danny Boyle enters me, is that bad or good? What, what, is that okay? That's okay. I think that's all right. I'm going with it. Um, um, what am I missing? All right, that's enough about uh, enough about my impressions. It's fine. Let's, uh, let's move on uh, to another question from at Sack the Kiwi, who asks, 
Why have you forsaken us, ah, Phil Cat? That's biblical. I'm not Jesus, and I'm not dying. You look a bit like Jesus. You've got the beard. Oh, the beard's there, and I'm You're going my hair's to the great long. art and house club house. And I did three miracles this morning. Um, <laughs> one of them was getting to work. Um, uh, why have I forsaken everyone? I haven't. Love, love everyone, and I'll, I'll just be over there doing other filmy things. But I'll still be part of the family. Will I? As our lawyer, family lawyer? Sure. Sort of. It was Camden, wasn't it? it was one, there was one piercing too many and you just couldn't deal with it. Yeah, I don't think the, I don't think the questioner wants me to get into the actual mechanics <laughs> of my career, my career progression or whatever. But um, yeah, no, I mean, leaving Empire has been... Uh, I mean, being at Empire... Leaving Empire has been the greatest blessing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Being at Empire has been the greatest, the greatest thing that's happened to me in my working life and uh, it's not an easy place to leave, put it that way. Um, and I will be sad and melancholy and nostalgic in equal measure but you know exciting new opportunity um i'll miss for, for i'll miss who... this i'll miss the podcast it's been great we had five years when i was there when there was no podcast and the five years since we had a podcast were better yeah i agree just coincidentally nothing to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I agree. Uh, we should make clear just for anybody who didn't listen the other week you are going to time out to become oh, a film yeah. editor at why time would everyone know that i'm yeah. i'm going to be the film editor at time out yes so anyway, yeah, that's the other. Like, not actually, you know, going to the afterlife. Okay. The next, <laughs> next question is from an at Chris Hewitt LFC who asks, "Can I have a job?" <laughs> Chris Hewitt LFC. Now, Chris, you have two Twitter accounts, don't you? No, I was, I was, I was ad libbing that. It was, uh, it was just an amusing improvised oh, joke. Phil, <laughs> see. <laughs> anyway, uh, next question is from at Robin, and I do have two Twitter accounts. Yes, uh, at Robin the Office. Uh, could you please pitch to us an art house Marvel movie? <gasps> um, I spotted this one on Twitter. And I had to think about maybe doing a Black Widow movie, but in the style of Tarkovsky. Amazing. <laughs> where it's just a lot of, it's quite, it sort of slips between obviously dark monochrome <laughs> and sort of muted colours. And it's just her kind of in the in the forests of Russia. Yes, yeah, super on for it. You wouldn't want to pin down where because she's Black Widow, right? Obviously. And it's just her childhood, <laughs> like how did she get into the tight clothes and the Kung Fu shit? Yeah. Is there um, a lake or is there a mirror? Palimpsestically like, thinking about how, you know, emotional development, cutting back and forth in time. <laughs> and then Bruce Banner turns up, but it's not Bruce Banner. Uh, it's a goat. <laughs> and then there's 47 different credit, post-credits things, each one more confusing than the last. <laughs> and it goes on for... It's actually quite economical for a Tarkovsky. It's probably about seven hours. Huh. <laughs> Super. So that would be my... House. Kevin Feige, if you're listening, just drop, us a, just drop us a line. Just drop us a line. We'll put you in, we'll put you in touch with there. Chris. So maybe that will be yeah. the job for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, sorry, some of these questions I hadn't seen before, so I was laughing at them as I saw them. Uh, so here's one from Elbows underscore Selbo. Shag, marry, kill. Oh my god. Tarkovsky, oh. Herzog, the Darden brothers. I don't want to Okay. <laughs> Shag, marry, kill. Go on, Phil. Um, as your lawyer, you can't marry two brothers. Yeah, I Because it's that would be bigamy. Right yeah. so. Although, what a, what a honeymoon night that would be. Um, Imagine it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to? We've actually broken, oh, Phil. Man. Amazing. Shag, marry, kill. Yeah. The Tarkovsky. Well, he's dead, so that that's weird. All right. So um, we, are so we assuming I they're all was, alive? I mean, they're all alive. Robert. They're in the, they're the prime of their their physicality. Virility. Just well, actually, Tarkovsky was very handsome as a younger man. I'm okay. not even kidding. He was. I mean, right. so that's your shag talk would be upsetting. 
Yes. <laughs> I'm like, now's not the time to confront our mortality, Werner. I know, I just, I'm sorry, I'm going to take the fifth on that one. I'm, oh, I mean, they're all, they're all magical figures. I'm sorry. Boo. It's just too weird. He would all right. do all three to all three of them. Right. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> all right. That so. explains the four <clears throat> bodies. Yeah. <laughs> Monty H. Withnell <laughs> asks In your time working at Empire, are there any films you reviewed for the magazine or the podcast that you have now changed your mind about? Monty, you're a terrible c. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know, Chris, have you? Is that the first time we've had the C word in the podcast? Probably not. I've been on it, so certainly not. <laughs> we had a letter complaint recently about you. Did you? Yeah. Really? Saying, um, it was a gentleman, um, he said, I used to listen to my uh, the podcast with my eight-year-old son and really enjoyed it, but every time James Dyer is on it, <laughs> I cannot listen to the podcast because you're so you're so sweary. Oh, I'd say I thought it would have nothing to do with my swearing. Um, no, just I your that, general awful opinions. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That. I'm just offensive. It's fair comment. This is not news to anyone here. Um, I don't have a, I don't have a um, Attack of the Clowns, <laughs> Revenge of the Sith in my locker. Because I haven't reviewed... Who does? <laughs> haven't reviewed anything quite on that you know scale of polarity but um not really i'll be honest i mean certainly i've seen films that i've changed my opinion of um and uh but oh gosh what would they be i really hated the rock when i first saw it uh, what's wrong really, with you i don't really know hated. i don't know i came i went to see it in um in the cinema uh, on the King's Road and I came out and there was a bloke there this never happened and he said did you like the film and I said no not really and he went do you want to go and see another one instead I said, <laughs> sure I can't remember what I went to see um, was it like the shopkeeper I'm like, from Mr again, Ben like, why did I not like it <laughs> yeah it was unusual maybe that was in my imagination um, but no I mean not not in my reviews because it would be a very good review would you if you like completely change your mind on a film that you've reviewed well why I mean you're supposed to like we're only human. I guess we make mistakes. We've Opinions all, change. Made, made Times mistakes. change. Maybe yeah. you leave you leave years between maybe. a film and maybe it percolates a little bit. And maybe, maybe. You, you rewatch it a few years later and go, Christ. <laughs> Christ, this is awful. I mean, the, the arena mm. scene is okay. The bit where Django gets his head chopped off is quite fun, but... Chris, I feel like you're suddenly is... being talking very specifically rather what? than no, this is, hypothetically. Uh, no, I'm just using this as an example. I don't okay. even know the film I'm talking about. No, there uh, probably isn't. Django, really. Django is, a, is a very common name in movies. Super common. I can think of know. two. Um, Mark Levy Art asks, very sad to hear this news, how do you cope with having a brother who thinks he is famous because you can see him on a freeze frame <laughs> in Jurassic oh, World? Oh, ouch. Um... I mean, Nick's uh, Nick's ego did explode after know. that, didn't it? Are you in a film, Phil? Have you ever been close to being in a film? I once walked into the frame on a film set, <laughs> but that's different. <laughs> what film? What happened? Um, it was... Um, was it the one about the Nazis? No, the one about the Nazis. <laughs> um, I, no, it was um, Alicia Vikander. Um, the one about the was, Nazis? Not about the Nazis. It was the wrong war. Oh. It was um, the one about Testament the Testament of Youth. Right. Testament of Youth. <laughs> I was just look. I mean, I was talking to um, someone significant on set. I was doing an interview, and uh, and um, there was just laughter from like the video village area of everyone's gathered around pissing themselves, and we were like, "What is it?" And uh, we just <laughs> there was a list of a kind of acting, and then in the background, there's just me <laughs> asking, you know, what attracted this person to the material. <laughs> working on a pretty tight schedule on this movie aren't you you've got to turn it around in a certain number of days whilst mm. ruining another take 
They removed so. you in a post-production effect shot. That's I incredible. watched the film and I, th- I had hoped that they'd forgotten to <laughs> in, a, in, a, in an unprecedented uh, um, blooper, but unfortunately <laughs> Uh, maybe on the blooper reel. I don't think there's a blooper reel on Testament of Youth. It's <laughs> so all about the tragedy of wasted youth in the First World War. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like Okay. Yeah, anyway. So, yeah. At FBL. Wait, I didn't answer the question. What was how, the question? How do you deal with, you make... deal with oh, me? Oh, right. Yes. Sorry, I thought you had. Yeah, fine. As long as you don't make eye contact, all is well. Yes. <laughs> you have to speak through an intermediary. Mm-hmm. Uh, at FBL Havda uh, asks. This is a tough one. This is Sophie's choice for you here, Phil. Mm-hmm. Goddard or Melville? <gasps> Melville. Whoa! Oh, no, oh. That's super easy. Sophie didn't lean into her choice that easily, <laughs> did she? Yeah, take the younger one. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I don't care. No, I much prefer Melville. I mean, Goddard is... I mean, he he's probably... Well, he's probably more... I don't know. I mean, there's probably film scholars that would disagree with this. I don't know, maybe. But I think Goddard's maybe more influential mm-hmm. influential mm-hmm. in terms of his style of editing and such like. Um, I don't think Marvel has a film quite of that impact. Mm-hmm. But I love his films the most. And also um, Moby There's Dick. a great Melville. Moby Dick's a great book. <laughs> yeah. I wish he'd made that. It. He should have done that himself. <laughs> he made the ga- just melded his sort of gangster Melville or with- Melville. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, anyway, so if you haven't seen any uh, Jean-Pierre Melville mm-hmm. but, uh, films or books mm-hmm. or whales, <laughs> yeah. you, should, uh, you should, because they're really good, especially Le Samurai and Army of Shadows. Here's another one from at Sean1Neo. Any chance of making a surprise appearance on the Emperor podcast in the future? Hmm. As my lawyer, I don't think I'm, I'm not sure I'm allowed to. I mean, I we don't haven't think seen much of Ali Plum. You will be going, you know, you're working Ali, for a different Andrew company. Plum. I think that yeah. might be tricky, but you never know. Never yeah. say never. Yes. Never say never. Never say never. Uh, best starstruck moment at Empire. He was cheeky. Had two questions. <sighs> Probably last time saw my brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't know. I, I don't know about you guys. I mean, this this isn't meant to sound entitled because I'm always blown away by these in- impressive people that you meet. But having done it for ten years, um, I interviewed Johnny Depp early on. Sort of the wow. statue three and a half minutes or whatever. Yeah. His yeah, entourage yeah. circling, and and there's something about him, or at least there was before everyone, you know. Anyway, um, so that was a. I was a bit starstruck then, but I guess up to ten years, you don't. Difficult to do your job if you're starstruck. You know, you have to try and pretend not to be at least. Yeah. Mm. So, and also because the the environment in which we interview people is quite weird and hermetic, you tend to. I find that I would. I, I mean, I've probably said this before, but you kind of you'll go and interview like um, Nick Cage and the Dorchester or whatever, and then you'll come outside and, and that'll be all kind of standard I suppose and then you'll come outside and spot Bill Oddie in the street and completely yeah. lose your shed yeah, yeah. Um, so there's something about seeing people in the wild yeah. <laughs> um, where you know so yeah I think um, do you do you get like I do because I don't get starstruck with film people but I no. do get starstruck with, with sports stars and musicians are, yes. you, are you like that yeah I would be definitely I mean I, I asked this question is a pint of milk question actually isn't it and I asked Alexander Skarsgård this when I did interview him a few months ago and he said that pretty much you know most movie people have other movie people that they would be starstruck by um, and he said that he was much more star- he sports a very by his own by his own admission a very rubbish um, uh, Swedish football team in the second division he says anytime he meets any of the players he completely loses it <laughs> which which I can relate to I mean you know it is, yeah definitely um, yeah those instances and it's different when you meet people in a social situation as you say yeah and suddenly you you relying on your powers of small talk. And my powers of small talk Weak. are, are None. feeble at best. None. They're Lilliputian, my small talk. <laughs> <laughs> this is dwarfed. 
It's so, not yeah. good. It's not good. Um, um, yeah. Do you guys have anything you want to ask Phil? I, I, I don't have a question, but I will share one of my favourite Phil Empire moments, uh, which is when Phil used to sit behind me when we were at our old office in Dever House, and he was doing one of Empire's famous How Much Is a Pint of Milk interviews with one Monsieur Eric Cantona. And uh, when it got <laughs> to the famous question... How hairy is your ass on a scale of one to ten? Not only did the response to that him say "How hairy is my house," uh, which was not the question, uh, but Phil forgot to add the suffix <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> what he, what he, in fact, asked Eric was, "Please describe the topography of your buttocks uh, <laughs> using as many adjectives as you can think of," um, which was quite special. Why do you think that was an accident? <laughs> I'm just curious. Perhaps you were very curious. Yes. You said, well, well they are fuzzy a... with a kind of rough a... shag. <laughs> might have a seagull sardine analogy for me. Yeah, yeah that was a... That, that, was, was, a, that, was, pretty that was a... Yeah. I probably... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't... I didn't... Yeah. But it Phil... wasn't good. I mean, when I turned around, yeah. everyone... I mean, I could see the office behind me, but it was like... What's that game where you turn around and everyone creeps up behind you? But, <laughs> Um, what's that called? A I think it's called dinner? serial killing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, but you would do was, this. I mean, everyone and, was listening, and you still do it. Actually, as, as as recently as I can tell, and that you will actually do phone interviews in the office on the office phone. I mean, now we've changed our phone system, so you probably don't do it anymore. But uh, you yeah. know, with people listening in, which yeah. I absolutely no, do cannot do. Yeah. Mm. Just cannot do it, which is kind of weird given how public the podcast interviews yeah. are, but I cannot have anyone listening to my phone interview technique, but you're just, you're out there. You did don't Joan Collins yes, for Pint of Milk did. Uh, in front of the office. And I, it was incredibly yeah, yeah. ballsy of you to do well, that. Well, I'm a ballsy guy. <laughs> 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 testicles. I'll be appearing in Matt Damon Slapping them on the desk. No, it's... I don't know. I just, well, there wasn't any alternative. You go home or like... I don't know, sit on the roof or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you go. Like, where's Chris? Yeah, I'm with He's Phil. left the office for four days to do an interview with, with Fona. I mean, you didn't have much alternative, so you yeah. sort of get yeah. used to it. It's not ideal, admittedly, but now we're in an office where there's more opportunity not to do that. Mostly yeah. it's not ideal, or ideal because somebody would have to stand up and say, can everyone not use the C-word for the next 25 minutes, yeah. please? Yeah. Which shouldn't need to be said, but there you go. Um, <laughs> but it's Empire, so... We, it, we it, literally it used to have a sign... Yeah. For that, please stop swearing. I'm doing radio, or I'm doing. Yeah. Well, it yeah. can be. Yeah, it could be. It could be a bit, you know, orc, orcs, should we say? But um, no, I didn't really mind that too much. You know, just yeah, no, allow I, I, everyone just, to revel in my poor interviewing. Mm, didn't you? It's just, it's just a tiny thing. It's a tiny thing. Yeah, a tiny thing. But I, I want to take this opportunity to yeah. thank Phil for always uh, snaffling the G two crossword Still for doing me it. from Russell, the, the Russell, what you've got <laughs> from the uh, the Guardian that gets sent to the office. So, yeah, we thanks. get a copy of the Guardian. Yeah, we do. And, and uh, he actually reads I it. I kind of read just the Guardian, the, and, I the and I cut out the G two because he's yeah. got. Crosswords and Sudoku's. Exactly. Which you can do when Chris is saying inappropriate things on the podcast. <laughs> uh, another thing I love about you, uh, there are many things, obviously, uh, is the way that you would just switch off in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Have <laughs> you guys done this? Where suddenly Phil is just, <laughs> I've literally seen you sometimes, where Helen and I might be monologuing a little bit. <laughs> literally, no. you will be suddenly like, you'll just... Start scratching your beard really loudly and just kind of <laughs> in, into the microphone, or rubbing it against yeah, the microphone. Once you, once. Did, you did this. I mean, I was I was watching Phil at the corner of my eye, and he just started doing this. If you can hear this, 
<laughs> he just started scratching his facial hair against the, uh, I against the microphone. I didn't have a beard back then. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely Yeah, that's amazing. possibly true. No, it was, you it, might have been doing about sort of phase 12 <laughs> Marvel Cinematic Universe at the time. Um, possible. Uh, anyway, it's glorious. It's glorious. You know, it's glorious. Yeah. Um, anyway. Do you have a favourite... Um, podcast moment do you have uh, someone that you met that you didn't think you would meet and then the podcast oh. facilitated that or you yeah. know is this your favourite podcast moment because after this this fun. is it it's done oh, and you no, won't be doing this shit, shit any longer I can't cope with the idea that I won't ever like in my mind I'll, there'll be others I'll be back next week and then I'll go away and I'll just slowly absorb the, the fact that I won't mm. surely it's it's the moment you got Cara Delevingne to sing the Pokemon oh God, theme yeah. tune that, that was, was pretty good. special I enjoyed that, although that was, yeah, I mean, she had a lot of people in the room and it was a bit weird, that whole podcast, but she was really good, a really good sport. And she selfied with you as well, didn't she? On she the did pod. a selfie with me, yeah, mm. which is kind of how I ended up meeting um, my partner, Taff, because I posted that picture on. Um, really? She, she messaged me on Facebook and said, um, you know, um, well, I don't know, she just mentioned the, the Cara Delevingne thing and we kind of like started talking from there. I think oh, not know yeah. that. So wow. Cara Delevingne, Delevingne is might your be matchmaker. Worth, uh, mentioning is that she was in Sydney at the time. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So she's th- still in Sydney. No. She's moved to London. This is a screenplay right here. Hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I, so think, I think, hang on, you need to send her a thank you note. You oh, need to send Cara Delevingne. thought about when you. we get married, as and when yeah. we get her. married, that we might, but I think that might somewhat overshadow. Event and I'm also not. She, she's the sort of person that might just turn up. I mean, she, she gate crashed. Like that, yeah, That's a huge. podcast we did with Margot Robbie. She just stormed into the middle she, of it. Yeah, yeah. She's pretty out there, and I liked her. But um, yeah, she's a bit of a wild child. And um, but yeah, we called her um, our, um, our Lady of Delavine or something because we sort of saw her as this weird kind of um, um, saint. ancient saint of our of our getting together. Wow, yeah. I guess That's amazing. So, that yeah. is amazing. So, I, never mind uh, Karen Delevingne taking credit for this. The Empire Podcast should take credit You guys for this. should this take Yeah, amazing. totally. If we have achieved That's anything true. in five and a half years, wow. getting filled together with his girlfriend and mm. uh, as, as people, you know, as so people is, know in the podcast. So there is a podcast baby. There's the podcast, podcast has baby. had a baby. This wow. is amazing. Why bring... is your child not called Bangly Bang? What's going on? <laughs> Bangly Bang, this is a great name. Bangly yeah. Bang. It is, in fact, a recommendation. There's still time to reconsider. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's our baby recommendation. That it's is a recommendation. Um, so uh, yeah, that was a good one. Um, Ali uh, Ali yeah. Plume, formerly Plume. of this podcast. Alex, um, Alex, Alex, Alex Plume of this podcast, formerly of this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, asked me to, to remind you about the Meryl Streep situation. Oh my word, yes. Uh, can you explain to the listeners what the Meryl Streep situation was? I think Meryl Streep's situation was we went to interview Meryl Streep in a hotel, me and Ali, about Florence Foster Jenkins, or maybe it was the film before that that she was doing. I think and it was the film before that. Actually, I was starstruck by Meryl <laughs> Streep, actually, in fairness, in answer to your earlier question. Um, because... Meryl Streep and <laughs> Ali and the batteries ran out on our audio equipment uh-huh. um, which is such an unusual thing to happen a technical snafu like that <laughs> that happened to us on the Empire podcast when we were out and about doing interviews that at least 50% of the time go wrong <laughs> um, and uh, Ali had to run down the corridor to get some more batteries and it just left me in the room with Meryl Streep and I hadn't really planned my I was a bit over over overawed should we say but then she kind of like was like you know, do you want a cup of tea? And I was like, yeah, that'd be nice. And she got up and just made me a cup of tea. Um, and then as I remember, Ali kind of came back and went, oh, I've forgotten something else, and then went away again. And I was just like, <laughs> but that may not have happened. That may not have happened. Did, um, did you and I have the same problem with Alexander Payne? Alexander Payne. Is that you Payne. and me for Alexander a film Payne. of his? I, I 
Yeah, I think we might have done that. I think my favourite example of something like that happening was when Ali and I went to interview um, the star of Bosch, Titus Welliver. Mm. Thank you, James. You just looked at me there and I remembered his name. My face (laughs) Uh, is my warrant. warrant. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we turned up to interview him and um, the Morantz, the portable recorder that we used sometimes to record interviews when we're not Mm. in the uh, studio had um, either been stolen or had fallen out of the bag on the way to the interview because it wasn't there and we had lost it. Uh, Luckily, Titus Welliver, bless him, is an amazing guy and a huge fan of Empire. So he was more than happy for us to go away, find something to record him with and then come back. That's embarrassing. It's like it's it literally had fallen out of the bag, or I, I still think to this day someone had half finished it. But wow! When but Nick and I did David Air for Suicide Squad, uh, Air was in the middle of like pouring his heart out and how he'd really been hurt by the critical reception, oh, and wow. I was the only one with headphones on, and literally just half I just had it just go. And it stopped. <laughs> and, and, it's, and he carried on talking and Nick was still talking to him. And then neither of them noticed. And I thought, do I just not say anything? And I just really subtly reached into my bag for some other batteries and kind of swapped them over and hoped that no one noticed. Oh, boy. Oof. We lost a couple of minutes, but uh, we salvaged the interview. But it was gold. It was gold. I mean, the stuff we lost wasn't, yeah. wasn't gold. Um, all right. So just a couple of last questions from, from readers and we'll, we'll, let, we'll let everyone go uh, home. Um <laughs> this is a good one uh, from Mick Word 75 what's the one movie you'd watch forever in purgatory uh, Raiders of Stark okay that's a shorter answer than I was expecting but um, <laughs> what were you expecting no no I was expecting like you know Show some reasoning you know. yeah. oh some reasoning no it's fine uh, at Christmas Turner asks what's the artiest house ever portrayed on screen Ooh. the artiest <laughs> house ever portrayed on screen I mean mm, I gosh I don't have a funny answer for this one. I would say that if you were being literal, the uh, Bates Motel in Psycho is mm. was kind of influenced by Ebert Hopper. Yeah. Um, I would also How say about- that if you ever get the chance to look online, there's an amazing, doc- there's an amazing uh, uh, documentary with Billy, an interview with Billy Wilder where it is house in LA, and his house is literally his ass is literally covered in how airy is his house not us is literally covered in like Rembrandts and Picassos and I mean it's nuts like wall to wall um, so that's not a film obviously but he was something of a he's by his own admission a complete hoarder of, of, of art rather than even a collector he just liked to hoard things um, but I don't know what do you think you got any funny answer to that one <laughs> I was gonna I had an idea and it's gone out oh, of my head oh uh, yeah um uh Last year, Tom Ford, Amy Adams. Oh yeah, single man. No, no. Oh the um, night. Nocturnal uh, the, animals. Nocturnal, nocturnal animals. animals yeah. Thank you. That because it had like a coons in the garden mm. and it had all this kind mm. of art and such. Mm. Um, so, so that might be a good one. That's a good one. That is a good one. I think we've exhausted all the questions from 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 listeners. And uh, if you guys have said everything else that you need to say to this man. Any more questions? Anything you want to say to him? Somebody wondered about the Steve Jobs cinematic universe. Yeah, I skipped past that one. But, uh, yeah, there may be news. Is there news? No, there's no news. That's why I skipped past it. Uh, I mean, as a freelancer, I would like to say, look forward to working with you at Time I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone? Any, any pitches? <laughs> no, no. I look forward to uh, to reading um, whatever it is that you're doing over that that. I hesitate to call it a magazine. What is it? <laughs> is it? Oh, it is. It is a magazine. Okay. And a website, of course. No, I'm very excited for you, Phil. It's amazing. James, anything to say to this, this man? I shall miss Phil enormously. 
yes, I, I've, I've sat with Phil for many years. We've been through trials, tribulations, premieres, festivals, Empire Awards, big screen, Empire Live, and many other things that I've spent hours talking to my therapist about. <laughs> and uh, and I don't think any of these things, were I to have to go through them again, would be the same without Phil. So no. what Empire will be a darker place without you. What festivals? I know, probably the London Film Festival. We didn't uh, go very far, did we? <laughs> the one that you yeah well thanks James yeah. I feel the same way and I want to say thank you to everyone that's put up with some of my random ruminations on the podcast down the years I mean, uh, and, uh, where, where I am I going to go I inspire at least one person to watch Akira Kurosawa's Dozu yeah it Zara. isn't me but where am I going to go with my questions about the Wehrmacht you know it's things like that that I will miss I don't want most. to be known as like a multi you're like the Nazi expert I don't know quite Nazi uh, expert I mean, your brother just doesn't have that level of Nazi knowledge, and I can't, I can't really replace that easily. I don't know. You'll find me. On, <laughs> you'll find me on Twitter. I will. And Phil Dissemblin. Uh And Phil, yes, it's going to be tremendously sad to lose you. You have been uh, an amazing friend and colleague of the last ten years. Uh, you know, it's uh, and you've been such a huge part of the Empire Podcast as well with your art house knowledge and showing us up. Frankly, every week it's going to be wall to wall Marvel from now on. <laughs> as Helen and I, and we should back we control. should say Phil also likes the mainstream stuff. He likes to point this out occasionally. Occasionally, I like to. So I just want to say we will also miss yes his input on the other films. Yeah, I know some other films too, but yeah, but most prefer it when they're subtitles. <laughs> yeah. But sad to see you go, Phil Cat. Final word from you. Thanks, Helen. Final word from me. Well, in summary. Um, gosh, well, like and, I say, and, and, and uh, we should also mm-hmm. say thank you for indulging us. Uh, you know, it's not every no, podcast that someone leaves, especially someone who's had such a momentous impact on on Empire and on the podcast over the last oh. few years. Well, um, it's been very so special, and I'm very, I'm uh, yeah, obviously um, very sad to cry, to, you bastard. You know I mean? I'm not going to cry on. There's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in <laughs> football. Um, yeah, no, I think that there will be tears at some point. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I love being on the podcast with you guys. It's, I've had so much fun. Um, it's been often hilarious, occasionally hapless, mostly inspiring. I think those two are the other way around. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, proportions, TBC, <laughs> yeah. but um, just just brilliant. It's a brilliant idea, and I want to mention Ali as well, actually, yeah. Ali Plum, because he was a big driving force in getting this whole thing started. And they did a great job um, getting it off the ground. And I think, and to the people that come to our live podcasts, um, I'm not someone that's sort of like, sort of, this is all about me, but I do want to say that, you know, that it's been pretty amazing to see people come out and pay good money. Yeah. Sometimes bad money, probably. Yeah. um, To come and see us talking nonsense in a variety of live locations, including Edinburgh. That was great. Mm. This weekend at the Live London Podcast Festival, um, the Prince Charles, you guys are awesome. The, the enthusiasm and excitement and engagement and passion you know mm-hmm. these people out there know way more about films than I do um, but it's been a real privilege kind of getting to meet people and and uh, and uh, occasionally talk at them um, <laughs> so thank you it's been incredible uh, and you will be much missed and indeed we, we want to echo that as well if you haven't heard last week's podcast it is the live podcast at the London Podcast Festival uh, with Matthew Vaughan and Mark Strong as our special guests and uh, was a lot of fun and we are always blown away when people turn out to see the podcasts and uh, so if you want to listen to that uh, the, the edited highlights <laughs> because I think we went we went off script a little bit a couple of times just a couple of times it's fine it's fine it's okay Uh, hapless and uh, mostly hapless and very occasionally hilarious Uh, so it's been amazing Phil you will be missed Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast Uh, join us next week 
for more from a later fun without this man to my left. <laughs> very, very sad days. Uh, we will be joined by either Ridley Scott or Denis Villeneuve. One of those two. Mon Dieu. That's, exci- that's exciting, isn't it? Incroyable. Uh, right, so until that, that momentous occasion, uh, it is goodbye from Helen. Totally. Uh, it's goodbye from James. Bye. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye for the last time mm. from Phil Dissemblian. Phil, mm. take us out. Goodbye. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Just say thanks oh. for listening. See you next week. Oh, or say you never. See you never. So you're about to take a time out. On the 15th of Nevery. Yeah. Perhaps a poem. Stop all the clocks. Oh, gosh. Stop <laughs> it. Anyway, go well, everyone. Love you all. Bye. <laughs>